Well, do you want to be happy? Yes. <laughs> do you want to be happy? Be grateful. That was the title of a TED Talk given by Brother David Stendelrass. Now, if you don't know what TED Talks are, these are little lectures given by thought leaders throughout the globe. And uh, so you should Google that sometime. But this one was given by David, uh, uh, Brother David Stendelrass. The subject was gratitude. And he said, all of us have, this, have one thing in common. We all want to be happy. And he says, the problem is, most of us think that happiness comes by getting more, uh, you know, more stuff, uh, more money, uh, nicer things, better circumstances, more health, more help, things like that. He says, the problem is, is that there are many, there are plenty of people in the world that have all that they want, and they're still not happy. And he says, that's because the, the root of happiness is gratitude. He says, if you want to be happy, you should learn to be grateful. And I think Brother David Sindelrast is on to something. Studies show that grateful people are happier, more satisfied with their lives and social relationships. They're more forgiving, more supportive of those they love. They're less depressed, less stressed, less envious, and less anxious. So it does appear, at least statistically, that he's right, that, that gratitude does lead to happiness. Now, it's not just David Stendelrass that says this. You know, all the great uh, thinkers uh, throughout the ages have valued gratitude. And so, for example, uh, G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought, and gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. And so he says the highest thought, the most noble thought that a human could possibly think is that of gratitude. And then uh, the ancient philosopher Cicero uh, described gratitude as the queen of all virtues. In fact, he said it was the parent of all virtues. He said gratitude is the soil in which all the other virtues grows. It's like the root of everything else uh, gratitude is. And then uh, the opposite is true as well. So David Hume said, ingratitude is the most horrible and unnatural crime that a person is capable of committing. I don't know what happened to him to write that, but that's what he said about ingratitude. And then uh, finally, Immanuel Kant for the win said quite simply, ingratitude is the essence of vileness. Right? So uh, all the great thinkers, all, all the, the, the folks that have spent their life accumulating wisdom said, wisdom said that gratitude is crucial. Gratitude is core. Gratitude is one of the most important virtues that a human being could possibly cultivate. But here's what I want you to see this morning is that it's not just all the great thinkers and, and philosophers that say this. Really, gratitude is at the heart of the Christian life, at, at the heart of what it means to know God, at the heart of what it means to develop a spiritual life is this virtue of gratitude. And so uh, the Apostle Paul uh, describes the Christian life as a life that is abounding in thanksgiving. And then in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul puts it this way. He says, Give thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, the in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, When do you give thanks? He says, All the time. And for what? Well, you give thanks in everything, Paul says. First uh, Thessalonians, uh, Paul puts it this way. He says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so Paul says, don't just give thanks when you make partner. Uh, don't just give thanks when your uh, stocks are up. Don't just give thanks when everything's going well for you. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, why should we do that? Paul says, because this is the will of Christ and will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so you want to know the will of God for your life? Well, here it is. Gratitude. And of course, 
In the New Testament, the opposite is true as well. Ingratitude is viewed as the hallmark of a life opposed to God. And so uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the sin of humanity and and what went wrong with the human race. And when you look at what went went wrong with the human race, it all comes down to ingratitude. Uh, What's wrong with this is not basically greed. It's not basically lust. It's not even essentially anger. What Paul says at the heart of sin is ingratitude. He says we didn't didn't honor God, nor did we give thanks to him. And so he says, when we look at what's wrong with it, it all comes down to ingratitude, and from there, things got worse and worse. Humanity began to unravel, and Paul describes us as faithless, ruthless, heartless, and he says it all begins with refusing to give thanks. So gratitude makes you happy. All the great philosophers and thinkers say you need it, and it's at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So here's the question that I want to answer today is, how do we cultivate gratitude? Right, if it's so crucial, if it's so core, how do we cultivate it? Because it's hard, isn't it? I mean, isn't it hard to be a grateful person? When I think about, you know, uh, being grateful, I think of the, the church lady on Saturday Night Live, you know, that, that old sketch where she said, be grateful for what you have. And it's like, yeah, okay, but yeah, I know, but, but how do I be grateful? You know, and you think about it, you know, co- gratitude is hard to develop, even for the most upbeat and positive us, even if you're, you know, you know, you're a seven on the Enneagram or whatever, and you find being joyful easy. It's hard to be a grateful person. What I want to say this morning is that gratitude is something that you learn. The way, the way to be grateful is to cultivate it in your life. It's a practice. And just like learning the piano or just like learning how to play soccer or some other sport, gratitude is something that you can practice and get better at. This morning, uh, I want to uh, look at how we can practice gratitude by looking at Psalm 9. And Psalm 9 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And there are different types of psalms. So like there are psalms of, of lament where the psalmist is, is in the pit, you know, and things are going terrible. He's, he's, he's lamenting before God. And then there are psalms of ascent where the psalmist is praising God and worshiping God. And then there are psalms of trust where the psalmist talks about God as his rock and his, his high tower. And then there are psalms of thanksgiving, which is what this was, one is. And uh, someone once said that psalms are a toolbox of the soul. In other words, they are, they are tools to help us cultivate our interior lives. And so this song of thanksgiving is a window into the heart and soul of a person who is learning to cultivate gratitude. So the question is, how does he do it? How does he cultivate gratitude in his life? And I want to suggest that uh, in order to cultivate gratitude, he uses four basic faculties. If you're going to be a person of thanks, it involves four of our most basic faculties. Uh, Gratitude involves the will, the heart, uh, or uh, the the will, the mind, the heart, and the mouth. If you're going to be grateful, you got to do it on the inside. It involves the will, the mind, the heart, and the mouth. And let's see how he does it. Let's begin in verse 1. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now, if you're going to cultivate gratitude, it begins with the will. It, It begins with a conscious decision to be grateful. And I want you to notice that, that it begins with the will, the faculty of the will. Now, the faculty of the will is where, it's where decisions are made. It's where uh, intention develops. It's where you uh, purpose to do something. It's where you decide things. And I want you to notice here that when the psalmist says, I will give thanks, he says, I will four times. 
So he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of his wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. And so gratitude begins with the will. Now notice, in other words, the psalmist is not waiting to be grateful until he feels like it. He's not waiting to be grateful until things kind of turn around in his life. He is purposing, he's deciding, he's making a conscious, willful decision to give thanks. Now, what I want you to see here is that this is a psalm. Things are not going well for him when he's giving thanks here. Like I said, there are songs of ascent, you know, where things are going well. And then there are songs where uh, the psalmist is in the pit and he's in the valley. This is a psalm where he is in the valley. Verse 13, it's, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, and see my affliction. And so this guy's being afflicted in his life. And then he says, uh, from those who hate me. So there's people around him who hate him, who are criticizing him, who lift me up from the gates of death. So here is a man at the gates of death. I mean, things are going terrible for him. And yet in this moment, he's making a conscious decision to give thanks. He's not waiting until he feels like it. He is, he is, he is deciding, he is intending that he's gonna be a person of gratitude. In other words, I want you to think about gratitude like, like uh, you know, maybe like cultivating a garden. You know, I, you know, I had a little miniature garden in my office a while back. Uh, it, was just, it was a potted plant, is all it was. <laughs> but I, I like to think of it as a miniature garden, you know, and I, it was one of those plants, you know, that looked like a desert plant, and so I thought, I don't, I don't think I need to water it, maybe once a year, perhaps. And so I didn't water it, I didn't tend it, I didn't do, I didn't do anything to it, and uh, just took a few months, and the plant was dead. It's because uh, left to themselves, uh, miniature gardens go south. And your heart naturally goes to ingratitude. Unless you cultivate it, unless you pre-decide, even if you're in a, in a place in, in your life where you don't necessarily feel like doing it, you make a willful, conscious effort to say, I will be a person of gratitude. Gratitude is a decision. And this is why in the New Testament, gratitude is a command. Right? And gratitude is something that is commanded because it's something that is within your control. Uh, gratitude is your responsibility. Gratitude is a decision that you make, and we all know that our lives uh, are made up of the sum total of all of our decisions. Right? And so if you want to be a person of gratitude, this is the result of many, many small decisions that you make to be grateful. I will give thanks. I was watching a video this past week um, by a pastor. His name was Ed Dobson. And, and Ed, Ed Dobson, not James Dobson, this is Ed Dobson. He was a pastor in Chicago, or uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, Michigan. And uh, he developed ALS, which is a degenerative brain disease. And when he realized he wasn't going to make it, you know, he's getting worse and worse, he made videos of the last few months of his death. Each uh, video had a different theme, and, and one of the videos was themed Gratitude. And he's, in the video, he says, you know, when I started to get worse and worse, he said, I realized I had a decision to make. I was either going to be angry or I was going to decide to be grateful. And in the video, he said, you know, the scripture says, in everything, give thanks. And he says, it doesn't say for everything, give thanks. And he says, I'm not grateful for ALS. I'm not thankful for that. But he says, I can be grateful in the midst of ALS. And he went on and he says, I'm grateful that God woke me out of bed this morning. 
And he looked at his wife who was tearing up and, and he said, I'm thankful for my wife who takes care of me every day. And the point he was making was that gratitude is a decision. It begins in the will. And even in the darkest of places, even at the gates of death, you can decide, I will be a person of gratitude. I want you to also see that, that gratitude moves on and it, and it moves on to your mind. So gratitude begins in the will but is fueled by your mind. It is, it's fueled by what you do with your brain. And notice in the passage in verse one, he ends by saying, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. Now, now what is the word, what is recount? What does that mean? Well, recounting is something you do with the faculty of your mind. Uh, just like counting is something you do with your brain. Recounting is the same thing. And basically, when you recount something, you are recalling something to mind. You are bringing something to your, in, into your brain. And so, uh, for example, in, in Webster's Dictionary, the, the definition for recounts, it says that recounting has to do with narrative. And so you think about that with the narrative. You're, if you're telling a narrative, you are recalling or you're recounting the major events of that story. And I do this all the time. So at night, uh, before I put my kids to bed, uh, I will uh, make up stories to tell them. And now we're actually reading a book to them, but I used to make up stories. And so I had a story about a squirrel that I would tell them, and I had a story about Star Wars that I would tell them. I had a story about Super Chicken, which is a character I made up. I'll tell you about him sometime. But my kids, they, they always say, Daddy, tell us again the story of Super Chicken, or tell us again the story of the squirrel, or tell us again the story of Star Wars. And what, at that moment, what I have to do is I have to re recount the major events of the story. I have to bring to mind, I have to think really hard, I have to bring to mind the major events of that story so that I could tell it again. People of gratitude do this with their mind. They, they are counting and recounting. They are bringing things to, into their mind. What are they bringing into their mind? Well, the psalmist says, I will recount what? All of your wonderful deeds. They're thinking, they're looking at their life, they're looking at the narrative of their, of their life, and they are recalling all the wonderful deeds, all the benefits, all the blessings that they have in their lives from the Lord. So I want to ask you a question. What do you naturally bring into your mind? It's not a, a question of whether you recount. The, it's the, a question, the question is, what are you recounting? Maybe as you lay in bed at night, what are the things that you bring into your brain? You know, many of us recount all the injustices in our lives. You know, we think about all the things that have been done wrong to us. You know, I was hurt there, and I was wrong there. And this person here, if they wouldn't have done that, I would be so much better off. And so we're recounting all the injustices. If that's what you're recounting, you're going to be a person who is very angry. Some people, they're recounting all the, all the stupid things that they've done. Oh, I'm, why did I do that? If I could only rewind time and, and do something different in college, and, and if only I didn't make that decision, and if only I wouldn't have done this, if that's what you're recounting, recounting you're going to be a person of regret. Some people are recounting all of the things that they don't have. As they scroll their Instagram feed, they're just recounting, oh, I wish I had that, and why don't I have her body? And why can't I live in a house that looks like that? And why don't I have this? And I wish I had that. If that's what you're recounting, you're gonna be a person who's very discontent. People of gratitude make a decision to bring things into their mind, to recount things on purpose. And what are they recounting? They're recounting the benefits. They're reminding themselves over and over again of the things that they have in their lives, all the blessings that they have. 
you know, and you've heard of people making a prayer list. You know, people of gratitude, al- they almost make a gratitude list. In fact, uh, one of our, our staff members this week, or a couple weeks ago, she challenged us to do a gratitude journal where we are literally making a list. We're, we're literally recounting all the good things that we have in life. The psalmist did this, so in uh, Psalm 103, this is another psalm of thanksgiving. He literally makes a list of all the blessings that God has given him. So he says, bless, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who, number one, forgives all your iniquity, who, number two, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. See, he's counting and recounting. He's recalling into his mind all the, the benefits in his life. The Old Testament people of Israel, they did this all the time. They almost had a culture of memory where they were, they were bringing to mind over and over again all the things that God had done for them and, tell, and passing these on to their children. They even had prayers that they would pray, pray. One of them was called the 18 or the 18 benedictions. And these were prayers of thanksgiving. And so what they would do, the 18, this, this was a prayer that began with, blessed are you, Lord, king of the universe, and it was followed by something they were thankful for. And so uh, they would just bless God all the time, and it's because they deeply believed, as one rabbi put it, he who enjoys anything from creation without blessing God for it commits misuse. And so they would pray the 18 on the Sabbath, and they would pray the 18 three times a day. And they would pray the 18 at all their special holidays because they were thanking God for everything in their world. Especially they, they thanked God for their food. And one rabbi said that if you ate a meal and you forgot to give thanks for it, and then you remember that you forgot to give thanks, he said you had to go back to where you ate the meal and offer a prayer right then. Some of you need to go back to the pinto uh, and give thanks for the food you ate yesterday. But this is how important it was for them to thank God for the food. And they must have loved food because they had blessings not just for food in general, but for every different type of food. And so they had blessings for bread. Uh, They had a blessing that they would get for the wine. If you can believe it, they even had a blessing for figs. Uh, they, They had a blessing for every single type of food that they ate. Just blessing God all the time. If they were lucky enough to have meat, they had a blessing for the meat. Uh, they had blessings for everything in their world, and so they had a blessing for, the, for a lamp, if you can believe that. And so, uh, you know, to have light in the world is such a gift. We could all be living in darkness, but God said, let there be light. And so thank you, God, for giving us the capability to live with light. They had a blessing for seeing a comet. So if you were looking up at a night sky and you saw a comet, they had a blessing thanking God for just seeing that comet. They, they even had a blessing for the ocean. And as a former surfer, I love the blessing for the ocean. You know, and it's amazing. You think about it, some people have never seen the ocean. Some people live in climates that are just freezing cold all the time. You know, places like Michigan, where God sends people when he doesn't like them. Right? But, but you know, the ocean is such a gift. And they saw all of life as a gift. And they were attentive, and they were listening, and they were looking, and they thanked God for everything in their world. G.K. Chesterton said, nothing taken for granted, everything received with gratitude, everything passed on with grace. You say grace before meals, all right, but I, think, I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. See, he's saying you thank God, all of life is a gift, and you thank God for everything, and you're recalling over and over again all the benefits in life. 
Now, someone says, well, my life's not going well right now, and I don't feel like giving thanks. I feel like complaining. That's okay. Do you know there were, there were psalms of complaint as well? It's okay, it's okay to complain to God, but make sure that your complaint doesn't drown out your gratitude. Make sure that all of your prayers don't become prayers of complaint. And somebody else says, well, wait a minute. I know that I have good things in life, but some of those things I gave myself. You know, I worked hard for this job. I worked hard to, for this marriage. You know, I worked hard for the things that I own. Some of those things are not God's doing. They're my doing. Are you sure about that? You may be the immediate cause, but God is the ultimate source. And the breath you drew this morning is only due to God sustaining that breath. And in him you live and move and have your being. Everything is gift. Everything is from God. Everything is from his hand. And as John Ortberg says, gratitude is the ability to experience, to experience life as a gift. And it liberates us from the prison of self-preoccupation. So we're practicing gratitude. We're learning how to do it, just like you learn how to ride a bike. It begins in the will. You decide, I'm going to be a person of gratitude. Wherever, wherever you are in life, it's, a, it's an intentional, intentional, conscious decision. It moves on to your brain. You do something with your brain. What do you do? You recall, you remember, you recount all the things that God is doing in your life. But it not only stops with the, with the brain, it moves into your heart. So notice he says in verse 1, Gratitude is something he's doing with his heart, his whole heart, he says. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Gratitude is, if it's really going to be gratitude, it's got to be something heartfelt, right? It can't just be something up here. It's got to move down here. And so what is your heart? Well, to state the obvious, it's more than a vital organ that pumps your blood. Your heart is the seat of your affections, your, car, your heart is the core of your desires. Your heart is the central part of you. It's the heart where God peers right in. And God is incredibly concerned with your heart. Uh, 300 times in the, in the scripture, it's, it mentions your heart. And God cares what goes on in there. And so the question is, how do we get gratitude into our hearts? Well, the answer is you've got to, you gotta un understand something about grace. You gotta see the good things in your life, not just as wondrous deeds, but as works of grace. Not just of benefits, but of absolute unmerited favor. In other words, you need to see that everything in your life, all the gifts, all the best things in your life are not owed, they're not entitled, they're grace. Grace is unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. And in order for gratitude to work its way down into the core of your being, you need to have an encounter with grace. You need to see something of your own unworthiness, of your own undeservedness for what God has done for you. This in the New Testament, Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee, and, and uh, the Pharisees, these were uh, religi religious experts. And so he get, goes to this home, and he, he's in there, and they're, he's surrounded by all of these religious leaders, you know, these religious higher-ups, the mucky-mucks of the ancient world, you know, very smart, very educated, very religious, and they're discussing with Jesus uh, issues of theology. And there they are, and, and they're very entitled, you know, the, of course, Jesus, they deserve for Jesus to be here. Of course, they're, they, they're, they, they're, they're his colleague, right? There they are, they're just as good as he is, and so they're discussing with Jesus all these things, and he, there they are, you know, it's very possible to be religious, very religious, but also very entitled. 
it's very possible to be very moral but also very, have a very deep sense of, of entitlement that I deserve everything that God has given me. And that's where these Pharisees are. There they are in, in the presence of Jesus. And then at that moment, a woman breaks into the door. Some of you may remember this story. She breaks into the door and it says she's a woman of, of the street which basically means she's a prostitute. And she comes in and she falls at Jesus' feet and she, begin, and she breaks open a, a bottle of perfume and she begins to wipe his, his feet with her tears. And the Pharisees, they're aghast. Oh, doesn't he understand who this woman is? And doesn't he understand how unclean she is? And how, why is he letting her do this? And Jesus looks at them and he says, he said, I, I walked in this door and you didn't do anything for me. You saw me as a colleague. But he says, this woman, this woman is, is grateful. And then he says, the person who love, who's been forgiven much, loves much. In other words, the person who experiences grace, the most grace, is the one who shows the most gratitude. Grace leads to gratitude. Grace kills entitlement, and entitlement kills gratitude. And so in order to be a grateful person really in your heart, you need to have an encounter with the gospel. You need to understand something about that you are more sinful than you've ever imagined but you are more loved and more accepted and more valued in Jesus than you ever dared to hope. And when this hits home in your heart, it explodes in gratitude. Gratitude moves into your heart. But finally, I want you to see that the circle of gratitude ends with the mouth. In verse two, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So the circle of gratitude ends with gratitude coming out of, off of his lips. I will sing praise to your name. And gratitude always must get to this point. Gratitude, if it's not expressed, is not really gratitude. It's got to come out of your mouth because some of you may feel gratitude right now. Maybe it's, it's in there somewhere, but you haven't told your face yet. <laughs> you haven't told your mouth yet. And, and gratitude, if, it's really gonna, if you're going to complete that circle, gratitude needs to be spoken. And so he says, I will sing praise to your name, O God. It will come out of my mouth. God loves to hear gratitude on your lips. You know, there was one time at the end of my sermon here, I went down there and I left my mic on. And so you could hear me, as, if you heard that noise, you know, coming over the speaker, that horrible noise, that was my voice that one Sunday. <laughs> you maybe didn't like it, but God did. God loves the sound of gratitude coming off of your lips. I think most people do. Now, have you ever had someone just speak a word of thanks to you? I mean, it, it just changes everything. Have you ever had someone, they're, they're not just thinking I'm grateful, I'm, they're not just thinking that in their mind, but they literally with their lips say, you know, I am so thankful for you. Maybe they write you a letter or maybe they just say it to your face. Man, that word of thanks means everything. It changes everything because there is power when gratitude comes out of your mouth. It's contagious. And so, you know, think about it. If you're, when you're at home in your, in your house and you're talking to your spouse, what are the words that come out of your mouth? As you're having that conversation, are, there, are they words of gratitude? If you're like me, I've got almost like this loop of complaint. And it's like, oh, my back. And oh, I wish, you know, I had this. And oh, I wish this wasn't this way. And when Anita's in that loop, she's my wife, it's like we're just spiraling down into ingratitude. But what, what are the words that you speak to your spouse if you have one? What are the words that you speak to your children or in the presence of your children? You know, your kids are learning about Jesus. They're learning about the gospel. 
And what are they learning by the words that you speak? And so often, words of gratitude can change the culture of a home. Gratitude is contagious. It just spreads like wildfire. Uh, the story I told you of Ed Dobson, you know, with ALS, he, in, the, in the video, there is this, he said at one time in their worship service, they were all uh, praying for him. The congregation was praying for him. And the woman, she said, Lord, uh, out from the congregation, she said, Lord, we're always bothering you about our pastor's illness. But she said, this morning, I want to give thanks for all the things he can do, for all the things that are right in his body. Of course, they all knew what was wrong in his body, but she says, I want to just take a moment to thank you for what's right in his body. And do you ever take a moment and thank God for what is right in your life? I know there's a lot of things wrong, but have you ever taken a moment to thank God for what is right in the world and what is right in your life and what is right in your body? There is power in that. There's a, there's a story that Brennan Manning tells in his book, and I'll just read it to you. He says, um, John Kavanaugh relates a story of a grateful old woman who was in an extended care hospital. She had some kind of wasting disease, her different powers fading away over the march of the month. A student of mine happened upon her on a coincidental visit. The student kept going back, drawn by the strange force of the woman's joy. Though she could no longer move her arms and legs, she would say, I'm just so happy that I could move my neck. And when she could no longer move her neck, she would say, I'm just so glad I can hear and see. And when the young student finally asked the woman what would happen if she lost her sound and sight, the gentle old lady said, I'll just be so grateful you came to visit. There was an uncommon freedom in that student's eyes as she told me of her friend. Somehow a great enemy had been disarmed in her life. This is what gratitude does. There is power in gratitude. It changes the culture. It can change the dynamic of a room. It can change a marriage. It can change a household. It's infectious. And so here we get a window into this psalm where the psalmist is saying, I am learning how to be grateful. He said it begins with the will. It's a conscious decision. It's, I, it's fueled by the mind. It's, it's, it's what happens when you bring the benefits of God as you recall those things into your, into your brain. And it moves on to your heart. By grace, it works itself in there. And finally, it's finished when it works its way out of your mouth. The circle of gratitude. Let me end by, uh, with some application here. I want to encourage you this week to do an audit. Some <laughs> an audit. You know, uh, gratitude is detail work. And I want to encourage you to do an audit. Some of you have been audited by the IRS. Why don't you audit yourself? Which means, why don't you inspect your life? I want you to do an audit of your thoughts. What do you think about most often? You know, it's possible to be very religious and very moral, and yet your thoughts just always are going to ingratitude. In what are your thoughts like? What do you think about most often? Change your thoughts. That's where it begins. I want you to do an audit of your words. Just pay attention to your words. How many words uh, that you speak are words of gratitude? Maybe start a gratitude journal like we did in the office and literally write down the things that you're grateful for. Verbally speak them. Do an audit of your thoughts. What are the things that you talk about most often? Are they positive? Are they words of gratitude? And then finally, I want to encourage you to do an audit of your heart. Audit your heart. When was the last time you encountered God's grace? When was the last time you were struck with your own deep sinfulness and yet at the same time with God's deep love in your life? When was the last time you reminded yourself of the gospel? 
And this morning, uh, we're gonna take communion, which is a great opportunity to do some gratitude work in your heart. You know, the word communion is the, word, is a, is the Greek word Eucharist. That literally means thanksgiving. And so this morning, as we take the bread and the cup, we're gonna have an opportunity to just remind ourselves of the greatest gift that we've been given. And despite our deepest unworthiness, unworthy, we are loved by God. And so we'll have an opportunity to do some heart work. Now, to help us do that, I want to begin uh, communion here by reading a confession together. This is a confession of sin, where we confess our sin to God and then remind ourselves again of His grace. And so if you would, uh, read this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's confess silently together. the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of your sins, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are gone, forgiven, forgotten. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you're here this morning and and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian and uh, you haven't yet come to the point where you've admitted your need for God's grace in Jesus, uh, we want to ask you to stay in your seat. This is a meal for those who are, who've embraced the grace of, of Jesus Christ. If, you are in, if you're here this morning and you want to become a Christian, we invite you to come and become a Christian this morning. Take communion and embrace the grace of God today. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, partake this morning and remind yourself of the immeasurable grace that you've been given in the gospel. This morning we have four stations, so there's two in back and then there's one up here. If the ushers would come forward to man the stations. Uh, whenever you feel ready, you can reflect in gratitude, and whenever you feel ready, you can go either to the back of the room if you're kind of in the back, or you can come to the, f- to the front of the room, and let's remember the gospel today. <laughs>